Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Yes. Okay, guys, we are live on Unloose the Goose and chatting with each other on the way in. Today is a special live stream on a Monday because we really want, we've wanted to have this special guest on for a long time. And um, she is somebody who unfortunately is booked when we record most of the time. So we decided to jigger things around and start on Monday. This is episode 32 of Unloose the Goose. And we're going to talk about something pretty cool today. Way back, I think episode three or four, we were talking about ways around some of the regulatory environs that run into, we run into as we're just trying to live our lives. And an example I brought up was this, this chick who started a, well, chick's probably not the right word. Don't get mad at me. Um, started a food church because she had this crazy idea that linking people with healthy meat, so they're grass-fed, without making it past USDA inspection was a good idea. Because by the time you go through the whole USDA process, you're not necessarily getting the healthiest meat anymore. And so Nithi Bali, who is it's author, it's Farm to Table Meat Riot, right? That's the name of your farm, website farm, and book. Farm, farm to Fork. I do that wrong every time. It's farm to fork meat, right? It's right there in black and white, only it's beige and black. But anyway, she wrote this awesome book and she founded a food church. And, you know, some people think we're taking, you know, taking advantage of the God thing, but not really. She she has a philosophy. You have to have gone through steps and learning the philosophy of, of food before you can even join the meat church. And then members are entitled to buy what they should have been able to buy to begin with, but that's a different story. So, uh, Nisi, welcome to Unloose the Goose. Thank you for having me. I've I've always been like, what is this Unloose the Goose? It sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get to have fun today. We're going to talk a little bit about your idea of food church because a lot of people have thought, well, what if we have an agorism church or we have, if we start organizing ourselves as 501c3s, how does that change what we're able to do with each other as far as free trade. Also on today, we have Sal Mayweather. What's up? To us from Florida. What's up? How are you guys? Doing great. Okay. Is anybody drinking anything fun? I've got water today. Water, but I have special water. Day. I have yeah. water from Iceland. Ooh, fancy. That's what it you got says. water too, Anithi? I got a mason jar water. Mason jar water. That's good. Yeah, see, mine's all plastic. She's probably going to talk to me about that yeah. later. I like, I like bubbles in my water. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't figured out how to do that with glass yet. <laughs> anyway, okay, so I first came across uh, this idea of a food church because I was at the Rogue Food Conference last year. And you got up there and just talked about your journey from, you know, where you started out with a child getting cancer at a very young age to to really grasping this this link between healthy food and healthy bodies and then finding a creative way to do it. So do you want to just walk us through that start to start out with? Okay. <clears throat> so we had a child. When she was two, she was diagnosed with a CCO neuroblastoma. 
And for anybody who doesn't know, you in your head, in the center of your head, you have a rock bone. And that's what makes kids clumsy until they're about 12. And later it opens up into their sinus cavity. And um, her entire rock bone was eaten up by this cancer. Now, um, I didn't know this at the time, um, but it was it was her, it was her MMR vaccine that kind of led us to this because she I mean, well, anyway, that becomes a little bit complicated, I guess. I write about it in detail in my book, so I'll just leave that for there. Anyway, um, I was just a mother who was trying to figure out how to save our daughter. That was like literally all. And I come from a background of, you know, like my grandfather was a renowned homeopathic physician in India. I'm Indian from India, but born and raised here. So I'm actually a Carolina girl because I was raised in, in North Carolina. <laughs> but um, but anyway, we we were practicing homeopathy. So I did have this understanding that, you know, it matters what you put in your mouth. And when we got to the hospital, Duke was like, uh, this has nothing to do with food or environment. And I was like, that doesn't even make any sense to me at all. And so we um, fast forward. We are living in Duke for like six months. I we decide to quit Duke. We try to leave Duke. They try to take custody of all our children, saying that we're irresponsible parents um, and I start this holistic protocol with food at home because I was also very pregnant, very, very pregnant with my third child. So I was very nesting and pregnant and dangerous for anybody who wanted to come try to take my children at that moment. And so, um, I put, I, we decided that what we were going to do was what we called, um, if cavemen didn't eat it, we don't need it. And I didn't know anything about paleo. This was 2007. We or it was 2008, January, February, February 2008, because she was diagnosed in September of 2007. We lived in the hospital. And then by that time, um, I just didn't trust anything and I didn't know what to do. So I decided to go to, from farm to farm. And as I was talking to more farmers, you know, then I was realizing like, you know, they got to take care of these livestock and they have to figure a lot of things out. And I was having some really profound conversations with these folks that were raising livestock about cancers. And um, what I was learning was what I already knew that it matters what you put into your mouth, you know? And if I didn't know if, if I couldn't walk the land with them and feel comfortable um, you know, with, I mean, if I didn't think it looked normal, you know, whatever was happening, cause I'm not an expert at that moment, right? I don't know anything about how you're supposed to raise livestock. You know, I'm not a farmer. It's like totally outside of my scope. So I'm just letting them teach me. And if it sounded really good, boom, I bought stuff from them. My only rule was if you don't let me come see your land or come to the farm, I won't buy your stuff. Like I need to be able to come to your land. That was my only requirement. And um, as I start doing this, uh, the long and the short of it is I found out I couldn't get meat everywhere. At that time, meat was not at every farmer's market. 
It was mostly only produce. This is, again, 2007. Also, just a note, uh, no YouTube till 2008, no iPhones. I wasn't able to research in the way that a lot of people are used to doing things right now. Um, okay. It's kind of changing now anyway. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to know what I know to be able to do what you want to do because you can't do the YouTube thing anymore. But at yeah. that red hot moment, I had to research with boots on the ground. So everything I was doing was boots on the ground or in journals or books or something of that nature. And so, you know, of course, everybody knows Sally Fallon Morell. I was following a lot of the nourishing tradition kind of stuff, but I knew that we needed to eliminate sugar. So I was leaning real heavy on anything that I could get at a farm because I wasn't going to figure out how to harvest wheat or something like that. Okay. Not in North Carolina right here. So if I couldn't buy it from somebody who was raising it that I could put my eyes on, because if you read in my book, I told you that I threw away everything in my house. Like I literally went through everything in the kitchen and I took it and I threw it in the garbage. And I told my husband, don't ever bring this stuff back. Very extreme. But we had a gun to our head. Our child was, you know, dying. I didn't know what was going on and no, and they didn't know anything because, you know, there's no cure for cancer. Right. So. So there's that. We start feeding her. And do you know, in four months, and I only know that it was four months because we tested after four months. It could have been two weeks. I don't know. But four months, we had arrested her solid mass tumor. Duke was like, we don't know. And I all mm-hmm. I was doing was feeding her regenerative meat from people who I could put my eyes on and a, and a little bit of vegetables and not what even you, fruit. What, what do you mean regenerative? Um, I mean, all of the animals were on grass. Okay. I should say back then it was mostly just pasture raised. I don't even know that those people were regenerating land properly, like not the savory mob grazing way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even a hundred percent grass fed and finished. Because we didn't have that anywhere in North Carolina at the time. Okay. So this was me going to a farmer locally who their livestock were outside on pasture, not in a house. And basically that was all. I mean, it wasn't as much as I know about GMOs and GMO feed and all that was not even so this was literally just the animals were well treated and locally produced. You've you've gone to more hyper organic practices where they're regenerating the soil and, and essentially locally vitamins. sourced foods. Yeah. Yeah. Not Makes in a grocery store. Not in and dirty eggs. Dirty eggs like poopy eggs? No, I just mean they weren't <laughs> washed in the chlorine solution. I gotcha. Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know that out there already, if you purchase things at a farmer's market, they have to comply with code, health code. And if a farmer has to comply with a health code, that requires them to wash your produce. If they say it's washed, if it's washed produce, it has to be washed in a chlorine solution, which is crazy. I mean, I didn't know that. And I didn't know that if it was in a grocery store, I mean, this is before Food Inc. and everything, okay, guys? Let's yeah. just 
I mean, I, I didn't know anything, but all I knew was that something is not right and I needed to find people and that was all. So from that moment on, okay, so then we go to Duke, we find out we've arrested her tumor, so the cancer has been killed by just this lifestyle change that I'm just going to call if cavemen didn't need it, we don't need it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I learned that my farmers were going to quit because I went one day to go get my stuff, which by the way, I used to drive from farm to farm to farm. That was not fun because if I went to the market, everything was adulterated. I couldn't find what I needed there. So if you can imagine, I have a brand new baby that was just born in March and a child with cancer and a three-year-old. And it's not fun or easy or convenient. And I don't even know how much money it costs because I don't care because we have a child that's dying. And when people tell me that they can't afford real food, I'm like, you don't know what you can afford until you try to do it. You don't know anything. And I was spending more money driving from farm to farm to farm every week. That was crazy. So fast forward a little bit. Um, I have all these other families that are finding out about what we're doing because my farmers are going to quit because they're like, you know, we really like you, Neethi, but we can't raise food just for you. Ah, so they needed more customers. They needed more. They needed anybody to care. Mm -hmm. They needed anyone to care. And I am a professional closer and a marketing specialist from my past life. And I thought, oh, I know how to do this, but I have three kids and I wasn't really trying to be running this thing. And I thought, oh, if I just help these farmers with a little bit of marketing, you know, that was my idea. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which, which turned into this whole thing that I did not plan. There was no business plan. There was no plan. There was just me saying, I need food for my family. And what do I have to do to keep getting it? And, and as I'm progressing through this, you know, I mean, now I can kind of laugh about it and be like, okay, that was kind of like the same as me trying to be um, a farmer and not know anything about farming. And then I just buy this land and then I go out there and I just got to figure it out, which a lot of people do, you Mm -hmm. know, and I was kind of doing that on the other side. Right. And as I would try to do one more thing, I would find out I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to tell anybody that this food turned her cancer off. I can't tell anybody that. That's making claims. And then I found out um, I am dangerously uh, in deep water because I'm making health claims. Even a bigger, bigger deal. Because in this country... Um, if you don't already know, you have no medical freedom. It is the most uh, regulated industry is the medical. I call them the medical mafia. Because as far as I know, they haven't cured anything at all. All they've the medical, made is the, the medical industrial complex, right? Right. That's what they are. I mean, I think they're about the same as the military industrial complex. 
probably even worse. They might have killed more. Who knows at this point? I'm pretty sure that they only commit medical murder. I don't, I just don't know anybody who they have ever healed. I mean, in my case, it was just pointed out to me and, you know, we were assaulted. I, I like to tell, I'm, I mean, I'm here to tell you we were assaulted and they murdered our child. And when they knew that she was already um, terminal at best, I mean, they had to know that because I'm just a mom. I'm nobody. And I figured it out. So they had to know that because they're the professionals, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the medical professionals and I don't know anything and they know everything because they have all these degrees or whatever. But is it, isn't there a Hippocratic oath? I mean, isn't it like do no harm? Like first do no harm. And if they know that she's already terminal at best, then why are you pouring five chemotherapy treatments into this two year old unless you're trying to murder her? Or use her as an experiment or whatever. And you have the audacity to come after me and my family to take my children away from us and say that we're irresponsible parents. So how did you get around the legal um, sort of blockades, legal obstacles? How did you how did you manage all that? I mean, first of all, let me just say. Um. I started Farm to Fork Meat, the CSA part, in um, April of 2009 Um, because all of 2008, I was trying to figure out. I mean, I didn't find out my farmers wanted to quit till around November Mm -hmm. of 2008. And so that first part of the year, I was trying to figure out, like, how do I even make a website or whatever? I mean, you know. Cause I got three babies and I really need to start a business right now, but <laughs> I was trying to set something up for them and like just to kind of have create some information, like a place, like a landing page for people to just come get information is what I thought, but it turned into something else. And, um, when the, the website went live in April, then I started, um, getting a lot of calls from families. And that was the first time, Sal, that I felt like, uh, I mean, I actually wasn't even conscious of it because, you know, Mina was really sick and I was just trying to get through every day. I wasn't even thinking about all of that stuff, you know, and I was talking to these people. I was spending hours and hours. I mean, I can't, I mean, basically I was coaching for free all day long, all the time. You know, I was on, on, on high. And then Mina died in October, sorry, September, September 13th. Okay. And that was 2009. I started it in April. She died in September. When she died, um, we, I literally just went to the beach for one week with her ashes. We came back like zombies and just continued to do our work. We never ever stopped. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I don't even know what I was saying to people. I don't even know what I was doing. I don't even know how much I cared about anything. Sal. I have no idea. I mean, frankly, I didn't have anything to lose as far as I was concerned. Of course, yeah. I mean, at that at that moment, if anybody said the wrong thing to me, all I had to do was say, my daughter just died and you need to back up. And nobody would pretty much say anything to me, you know. I think that um, it was probably, and my memory is really bad about this because we were grieving, okay. So two, three years later, 
I want to say it was probably, it was after, uh, uh, Jeffrey Smith's GMO book, I think came out in 2000. I think he published it in 2009, but I didn't find out about it till 2010. And then, um, you know, very shortly thereafter, Dallas Austin and Melissa Hartwig wrote the um, Whole30, um, and that came out, I think, a couple years later. When all of those things were coming around, it was interesting to me because all of them had published or were researching or doing whatever the same time as me. And we all came to this same conclusion about the the food, the GMOs and all these things. And I, at that point, I'm trying to find like higher quality. You're talking about my graded grade levels of, you know, the standards or whatever that I wrote. Well, the standards that I wrote were based on all of this cumulative education that I was gaining. And I had been, you know, reading Savory's books and stuff. I don't know if you've read Alan Savory's stuff pretty dry, but like I, <laughs> I had read his stuff and I was like, I mean, I was determined to figure out like what is going on. How, if we're going to do this and we need to, I need to know something and I didn't understand. And farmers don't really talk to people who are not farmers. Yeah. Not really. They weren't, they weren't very, you know, helpful. <laughs> they, they may not know like the ones, cause you know, the, the big communicating farmers do. But I found, because I'm pretty tight with local farmers here, it takes them a little while to get to know you. And then they know about the raising of the food, but they haven't necessarily linked it to health. Oh. That's that's what I see. Like, um, we have a number of farmers who raise um, in more conventional ways vegetables. And then I'll, I'll see them, like, trade that for processed food. So they're like getting sugary things margarine? in exchange for, for like baskets of tomatoes and, and whatever. And, and then I think, okay, I see what's going on there. We, but I've also watched the same local community learn as they develop health problems. Oh, I need to stop. Like we have one who won't use pesticide anymore mm-hmm. because he realized, oh, that's killing people. So I'm going to stop. Right. And then it has, has it totally adjusted his practices. So I think part of it is the if you look at how traditionally you learn to farm, it's very different than sort of the, the more regenerative agriculture circles that that we run in. Mm. And getting bridging that gap's a little hard because you're telling somebody the whole time, like the whole way they've lived their life, oh, that's wrong. Well, try this other thing. And we don't know if you'll make money or not. Just go for it. You know, I think I, I think a lot of people you'll are saying stuff like that, you know. You'll make money, read my book, share my book. That's, you know what? I wrote this book for them. Yeah. I wrote this book for anybody who's farming who wants to go regenerative and needs to know how to explain to somebody what they're doing. Because I feel like there's nothing more diminishing than for a farmer to have to explain their worth. Use the book, give it to the customer and say, this is what I'm doing. So for, for all the people who are not watching the, the, the YouTube, they're listening. That's Farm to Fork. Meat Rye is the name of the book. Yes. And they can sir. get that on Amazon. 
You can get it on Amazon if you want to give Bezos your money, or you could go to farm2forkmeatriot.org and you can just buy it from me and I'll sign it for you. So buy it from That's her. the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, I, I will autograph it and sign it to you, whatever you want. You can leave me a message and I'm happy to do that for you. And I actually sell these books by the case at a discount for any farmer who wants them. And I will write in there. You know, regenerative meat from ABC Farm heals and mm-hmm. sign it because, because even if your animals are not on the best regenerative path yet because you're working on it, you're in transition, the fact that they're on grass outside, not in a CAFO, you're still an F. Now, when I was writing my report card, Joel Solitan told me I needed to write this report card, by the way. he's It was his idea. He's like, you got to put a grading scale in the book. And I was like, that's like giving a mother a report card on how to raise their children. It's like, really? So please take the report card with a grain of salt and know that I am not trying to write a standard like the government writes standards because that's ridiculous. Okay. You can't put a standard on life based on your landscape, based on your creatures. I mean, it's like your family, right? Like how you raise your animals, but there is obviously a level of care and consciousness that's required. And, you know, I guess I'd have to discuss that with everybody on a case by case basis. We can't just, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this is like, you know, don't take this like some kind of Bible or something as if, you know, it is the word because it's certainly not, but I had to frame, frame out generally an idea. So even if you in in the book, if you're a grade F, then it's still, not poison because under the F everything's poison. And I say everything in the store is poison because it has to meet health code. So let's talk about that a little bit because you brought up the Bible. So now we got to talk about the food church. (laughs) (laughs) So why did you start a food church? You had a CSA that was going fine. And then food church. Why? Okay. So in 2013, I thought it would be a great idea. I had like, a hundred or 200 families coming to my garage. It was crazy. I had coolers all around my house. I live in a, in a, in the city in an HOA. Okay. I don't like live out in the country somewhere. Um, I had no intention of doing this. Remember? And also we were financially ruined when we went in and out of Duke. So you guys just need to know that we weren't in a position to just be able to get up and go out and buy a bunch of land or something. I mean, we're still, I would say that right now we are financially like newlyweds because we just, I mean, just the fact that we have our house is just like a miracle. Okay. So that year I had coolers all around. We had, a lot of members and I just really needed to get it out of my house. And I thought, Oh, I can, you know, like have a brick and mortar and we can do that and we'll just have more members. And you know, these grocery stores are serving 10,000 households. If I just serve 500, it's enough, you know, to pay the, the lease or whatever at the brick and mortar, it'll be fine. Well, let me tell y'all, I got a rapid education It was the dumbest thing I ever did. 
when I moved into that place, it was like everybody thought I was Harris Teeter. And they behaved that way. And the USDA started showing up. The NCDA, the FDA, everybody is coming to to see what I'm doing and telling sure. me all the ways that they're going to shut me down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would have told them to get a warrant and go screw. <laughs> I mean, I was just not ready. I was not prepared, Sal. Like, I didn't know these people were going to – I mean, because my, my – um, I had a meat handler's license here at the house. And in my garage, that dude was so nice and friendly and, you know, he was great. Oh, and then the, the knife comes in the back when you turn around. The minute I move in brick and mortar, he is a lunatic. I was like, he was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I didn't know who this man was anymore. He was scary crazy. And he's like, well, you can't do this anymore and you can't do that anymore. And, you know, I know that you were allowed to do this at your house. Like, we were always allowed to have one freezer for broken seals, for example. Oh, yeah. 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 No, can't do that. You can't do, you can't have a personal free, everything in here is, I said, no, it's not. That is an employee's only freezer. No, it's, it's in this space and you're open to the general public. So that year, Sal, that was 2013. I was assaulted, inspected, all kind of crazy stuff was going on over and over repeatedly every month. I mean, like they're supposed to come inspect you once a year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're every, every, third to fourth week, somebody's there. Well, do you think there was community community complaints going on or why do you think they had such a, a desire to mess with you? I asked them. Yeah. I said, I said, the only reason that you should be here is if you got a complaint. So what happened? Did mm-hmm. somebody call you? No. That's what they do. That's their job. You know what it reminds me of? I'm from uh, like New York and, and I lived like 10 minutes outside of Manhattan my whole life. And it really reminds me of the mafia. Right back in the day, in like the 90s, the Gambinos would come around store by store in, in, in Manhattan and say, you're not doing things right. You owe us this amount of money. Here's, you know, here's the way to do it. And that it's literally this sort of the same sort of extortion, but rather than coming from the Gambinos, they're coming from the government and the federal government nonetheless. Exactly. It was exactly that, exactly that fear tactic. And they would come in and they wouldn't leave. And, you know, I, I told one guy, I was like, if I was a man right now, you would leave. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't have the balls to keep standing there right now. Yeah. If they never repealed the machine gun ban, he wouldn't have been there. But that's a different story. So at that point, you were doing direct retail sales and not the more membership approach? I was always a members only place. That's okay. the reason oh. that they never could do anything. So they came Smart. in and just intimidated even though they couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything, and I could have defended myself a hundred different ways that I'm aware of today. Yeah. But I wasn't even expecting this chaos. And the only reason that I used to require the membership before was because, remember, I was trying to save families' children. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into this because I was trying to just sell meat. food. I wasn't trying mm-hmm. to sell the meat. I was, I had moms who were calling me because their kids, I was part of this cancer mom group that, that rolled over into this autism mom group that propelled into this, you know, Lyme disease mama group that went, I mean, so all of these sick people were finding me, which, you know, everybody's got an autoimmune condition or something because they're all medically poisoned right now. So 
somebody was coming to me from somewhere with a, a extreme thing. And I thought I just needed to protect myself because I was talking about how this food is going to help heal them. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm not even allowed to sell like the meat. Mm -hmm. Never mind all the raw milk and everything else that was going on. Okay. So there was, so I, I was like, okay. Um, so I started meeting with some other business owner friends of mine who had joined the CSA because, you know, they all had failing health. And there I, I was like, this is happening. This is happening. And one guy was like, why don't we uh, set up a, a nonprofit for you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, how am I going to be a business and a nonprofit? Because like everybody, I was confused about that whole part of it. And then he goes, well, what do you think? You know, he goes, do you? He goes, do you think that the Red Cross isn't making a lot of money? And I was like, so he like opens my eyes to how how these mafia groups are operating. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they're literally blood sucker, blood suckers. And so then I start learning about the Rockefellers. I mean, I started I had this huge education, like rapid education. I see Sal knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> So I get this rapid education about what was going on with the corporatocracy. And then I thought, oh, my goodness. I just thought I needed to market some meat, okay? Yeah. I mean, like, oh, I thought. I didn't know I had to do all this. Stuff. I really thought that if people would just eat real food, they would just not be sick and they would be so happy. And that was all. It was just very innocent. It wasn't – I mean, I had no intention of whatever else happened. So then I'm trying to figure out which box do I fit in for a nonprofit? What's going to work? For oh, that's what true. Yeah, because there's a list. Right. I have to I have to pick something on this list. So first I was like, well, it could be a learning center. But if I'm a learning center, then I have to comply with all these educational things, none of which I was going to do. And everything that I was saying was illegal. Everything. And I was That's like, the title of her next book, I hope. <laughs> Everything I say is illegal. I think Joel covered. I think Joel covered it. <laughs> yeah, that's all. true. I, I, um, I, I am working on another book right now, but, um, I do need to do some rogue book, but I, I kind of feel like Joel covered it all. I don't, I don't know. If there's something missing, I got to think about it. But basically, guys, what I realized is, oh, if you are a church, you can feed anybody anything. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. If I want to take my broken seal meat and cook it for anybody, nobody is ever going to ask me if I had a kitchen, where, what was the kitchen like? Was it certified? And I thought, okay, um, that's kind of mean and not nice. And okay, also great. Oh, is this how I just keep you right here? Okay, I can do that. And so the more I looked into it, I was like, okay, these people are my members of my church where I am preaching my truth. I love it. Brilliant. So, I mean, I just couldn't think of any other way because it wasn't like I was a farmer that was defending my land, like a Mark Baker who can defend his constitution on his land, you know, which by mm -hmm. the way, y'all, did you know that 
If you own your land and you have a deed and not the title, you are actually not the owner of that land. I mean, everybody, if, you, if you're paying property taxes, you're essentially renting from Congress. Right. So what you want is the patent to the land, and then you're tax-free, for one thing, and then you are completely sovereign on the land. So if you can figure out, you can have a title search done to figure out where the title is, and what you want is the title, and you want to put that title in a trust if you want to be completely sovereign. Now, how did... um how did the USDA react to you declaring yourself a church? And all of a sudden now you don't fall under their uh, purview anymore. What was their response? That was fun. Yeah. That's probably <laughs> the best I'm part. Sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the first part of it was I told them that they were outside of their jurisdiction because I'm a members only club. And people pay me money to aggregate food for them. Mm -hmm. So this is none of their business. We appreciate their help and protection, but we do not need it. No, thank you. They like that. I said, okay, well, this is my food church. You're still outside of your jurisdiction. What's a food church? That means, (laughs) you know, that means people come here and you have no authority here. I mean, you don't anyway have authority here based on what I just told you because we're not open to the general public. And he says, yes, you are. The door's open. And I said, no, I'm not. And read my website where it says buyer beware. He goes, you don't say that. I said, well, go. You've been showing me screenshots of my website all day long. You didn't open the legal, open the legal because you know, Pete Kennedy made sure to write in there mm-hmm. in the legal, you know, we are not overseen or, you know, every word that you can think of for protection. I mean, I mean, if, I mean, if the Catholic church can give wine to 10 year olds, then why can't you cook food for someone? That was, that was also, I also, you know, had the fire marshal called on me because I had a kitchen. It's just harassment at that point. That's all it is. They're, they're just trying to ruin your life and to make it, they're trying to dissuade you from doing this because you're, you're making their jobs irrelevant. Well, what they don't know is that actually they're being told to shut me down because the powers that are above them know that if you have health independence, you don't need them. Exactly. Yeah, of course. And you're you're, you're essentially... Great. You're a yeah, you, as long as you're, you're need, you know, as long as you need them. You, you found the workaround around the whole medical industrial complex and that's what makes you so dangerous to them. Yes, because my brother-in-law said, nobody, nobody knows who you are. I said the USDA does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the FDA does. The FDA is worse. Yeah, and I bet you the FBI and the NSA, they probably all have their eyes and ears on everything that you do, I bet, very closely. I mean. So how did you get them I off your back? Yeah, Huh? How did you get them off your back? I don't know that they're off my back. Oh, they yeah, they're back probably still them. watching. I mean, what I know is that nobody can find me. Have you ever really tried? Because, you know, even if you follow me on mm-hmm. Facebook, 
99% of people can't see what I post. Mm-hmm. They uh, come did, and visit my page all the time and be like, "What is she doing?" I was gonna say, yeah, don't give them a challenge because some some nerdy kid in the NSA will be looking at that like a, like, like a challenge. I've got it. I've yeah. got it. You know what's so interesting? Here's my question about the membership and the food church. Um, how state specific is it? Like, can you have members across state lines, or does that mess it up from a legal structure standpoint? Okay, so. I am not comfortable speaking for the whole, all okay. the states. But right. what I will say is that con- under the Constitution, or within the con- within our Constitution, um, if you have a, a, a an arrangement with another adult. Mm-hmm. And it can be a financial arrangement or whatever, a private arrangement. You, you are one. In theory, in theory, yeah. They, that, that's, that's the way the constitution is written. Um, how much they abide by it is a different story. But in the first amendment, there is the free exercise clause. So you have like the, like you have the ability to practice your religion freely, right? You can exercise your religious beliefs freely. That is actually still pretty solid. This, that's the one thing that they haven't really intruded too far on, although we saw Cuomo yeah. rounding up Jewish people in New York a few months ago. Yeah. But, they've been um, arresting people in the churches, and they've been putting tickets on cars of the congregations. At your church. Of the churches around here. Yeah, and that's because of the COVID Not, not at my place, but. Oh, oh for coronavirus. I, I, oh, I see what you're saying. Mm. Now, have, have you experienced that sort of harassment? Okay, well, for us, we were in my house because I had quit the brick and mortar because people were acting like it was Harris Teeter. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? <laughs> you guys are crazy, and I'm shutting this down, and you need to understand what it is that this is. And real food is not something that I can put. I mean, I can't put margins on it to make you. I mean, I'm not making the margin that right. I was making, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And the other part that nobody really knows, except for the people who do shop with me, is that they are paying my farmers directly. What I do is I have created this space where basically the farmers are members also. And the way it works is that way there's layers of protection all all around, right? I can preach, I can coach, I can do whatever and prescribe. That's why they call me Nithi the pharmacist because I'm prescribing meat for medicine. And if you don't have regenerative or grass-based or anything between an A and an F, real meat, you know, um, then you cannot you cannot combat. You cannot be a vegan or vegetarian. And I'm Indian. I understand vegetarianism more than anybody in the world. And I'm telling you that it is impossible for you to be plant-based and thrive, as is evidenced by this push to get rid of meat and to push a plant-based agenda, a goo chemistry project-based agenda, because that's how they keep everybody's mind warped you can't think straight so you're anti-incredible burger i am anti-chemistry projects okay i am even against nutraceuticals which people do not like me saying that and i'm like listen to me if it is in a box or a pouch or a container or if you got to drink it and it's not bone broth or water i mean tea and coffee 
I don't know, bourbon. No, I'm just kidding. Bourbon. <laughs> I'm joking. That's usually bourbon, what I'm drinking. Better. Bourbon. bourbon is better <laughs> than. <laughs> I will say that bourbon and silver tequila and vodka are are healthier for you than any pouch powder. Yeah, I'll I'll take a glass of rum over a McDonald's sweet tea all day long. <laughs> right. McDonald's yeah. makes sweet tea, really. I think so. <laughs> Sorry, I'm out of that. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so let me ask you because this is really interesting to me. I had on my podcast, I had Jack and Curtis, who should be here tonight, guys. Where are you? Yeah. But um, I had Jack them on. Has we a were just next week. He gets a pass. <laughs> but we were we were discussing like a lot of these same topics and growing your own food. And one of the things that they said to me that really hit me because I'm in like this one bedroom condo in like a city environment. And they were like, well, you know, grow what you can, but if you can't grow your own food, trade for it as locally as possible. So I went out and I found myself a rancher that's about an hour from here. And I buy pork and and beef from him and uh, all kinds of stuff. He sells like jam and all sorts of stuff, but it's I purchased it directly from him. Then I found a citrus farm that's about a half hour from here. And I go there and I, I mean, you can see the trees that it's growing from and they, they press everything right there. And it was so coincidental is that I was speaking to the rancher the last time I was there a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying how he was complaining about the USDA and how he has to take his cows and ship them so far away. And he has to pay all this extra money and shipping costs to get to like a, a, a USD compliance butcher or a slaughterhouse or something. I'm not really up to speed on all this stuff. Then he has to pay to get the, the cattle back once they've already been slaughtered. And then it's like it just adds on all these extra costs. And I said to him, well, hey, you know, being an agorist, and it was just the two of us. And I said, well, you know, like I wouldn't – you don't have to give me the USDA compliance <laughs> stuff. I'll, you know. I'll take the other stuff. Yeah. I even said, you know, I'll, like, I'll pay in Bitcoin if I have to. And he was – and he's just like looked at me funny. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? He's like, I'm going to have this, you know, thousand-pound animal just – right, right. So, like, I guess my question is... We're rogue butchering here. What does that mean? Where you use a front-end loader and you suspend a cow or a hog. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, right, Um, right. You know what? Mark Baker teaches it. He teaches how to harvest whole hogs. And um, and we do the similar thing with beef. Well, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to learn that at Nicole's workshop. That's one of the things that I'm planning on learning yeah, in next like next month. Five weeks. We're going to do that here with a pig and then roast it, serve it to everybody. Okay. Well, the other thing you could do, Nicole, is you could teach that class. Yeah. And let everybody have their own hog to butcher. Yeah. Um. Or, I mean, I don't know what kind of space you have. A lot whatever. of hogs. Yeah. I just, I mean, whatever, however it is that you have. We- we do a class, Neethi, where we, we raise chickens and we, we do a chicken processing class uh-huh. and everybody goes home with their chicken. Right. So and, but in Tennessee, I can sell up to, if I raise fewer than 3,000 birds and we slaughter it on site, I can sell those as long as it's from here. Well, you're not selling the birds if you're teaching yeah. a class. That's a good point. Mm. Well, I, and I don't raise 3,000 birds. I raise like 50 a year. So, if you wanted to raise like 10,000 birds and, yeah. and people were getting them because of the class and not because they're, yeah. if I come and take a class with you, I need to be able to go home with something to show for it. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, that has not anything to do. I'm not buying anything from you. I, I'm coming to take a class. And if you happen to give me a chicken and I happen yeah. to give you money for that class, then all's, all's well that ends well. I mean, I'm paying for the class. Right. And, and I'm charging I'm for the class, to, not the bird. No. And if I'm supposed to go home with what I mm-hmm. ruined, because maybe, maybe you're teaching me how to butcher them. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I'm learning. You can't sell that stuff to anybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's true. We, we did have our moments at the last class, but <laughs> yes. well, I mean, it's like, oh, good. This is what you have to do when you make a mistake like that. <laughs> you, when you when you mess the pork chop up, now you got stew. Isn't that amazing? It's yeah, I screwed up yeah. bacon. So I've never done. I, I, it's so salty you can't even. So I soaked it in water, right? Because mm-hmm. it still doesn't taste very good. So now it's stew bacon. It's you fine in the stew. You you can't also soak it in raw milk. Oh, I'll try that. I'm getting my first gallon of the season Wednesday, so I'll try. That's it. also isn't that isn't that a felony nowadays? Consuming raw milk is illegal. You can't even drink milk at this point. You can't. So I mean, and that's even, different like, in every state. We're like, not can, supposed to say these words right now. <laughs> what words? <laughs> the land of the free, right? Technically, technically, you're not allowed to. Yeah. So. So, you know, when you start talking about rogue food or sovereignty, then everybody's immediately put off by that. You know, they think I've said some bad word. I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused. Why? I, I mean, look, if you were born in the States, I was, I was born here. Okay. But, but if I, but my parents came here on purpose, mm-hmm. like on, on intentional purpose, right? So if someone came here on purpose, Usually they still remember why did they come here? Like they came here for our constitutional freedoms. And then the people who are here don't want to talk about their constitutional freedoms. And as of the last four years, they tried to make it sound like if we're for the constitution, that we're some kind of bad words. Mm-hmm. What are that's you, what I. What are you that's why about? I love the the solutions that you, that you're proposing because you're doing it in a way that's sort of permanent, right? Like like yeah. What, like what are they going to do about a church? Yeah, yeah. The constitution, they can shred it, they can burn it, they can put it through a paper shredder, but they can't stop you and your group from meeting and, and sort of coalescing well, in a voluntary way. If if this country becomes communist, as 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 is we're headed, yeah. You know, if that if that's what actually happens. Um, you know, cause these, these people believe that they're in a democracy, which they don't understand what that even means. And yeah. we were, really well, uh, yeah. you know, when they wrote the constitution, it was for us to have a capitalist nation, which is actually what we're trying to maintain. But they've adulterated that with social security mm-hmm. and, you know, taxes or whatever. So if the more of us that try to, uh, become sovereign, you know, I mean, it only takes 10% for a revolution, y'all, 5% for whatever. If, if people start trying to do what it takes to become, and you know, I say sovereign and people are like, you want us to be those hippies that were getting our cars <laughs> towed away, you know, with no tags. And I'm like, listen, you can, like, you can purchase, purchase your first, create your nonprofit. Okay. And then purchase everything under the nonprofit. Now it's in a trust. 
so so I want to get I want to hit the nonprofit points. So I want to ask yep. you about how that's useful for people who even as, for trying to you know find different solutions to different problems. Maybe they could use a nonprofit in some way. Um, but I don't know. I, I I just I feel like this is this is a really brilliant solution that you sort of come across. And I think that if you know if we could sort of expand this, I mean this is this is the sort of thing that could really blow up very easily. Yeah. If all of a sudden a hundred people in every neighborhood, in every community, every county start doing this, I mean, yeah. before you know it, the USDA is going to be shriveled down to to a little a nothing essentially. So this is an extremely powerful sort of idea that you've come across here. I mean, I will tell you that I don't believe in any coincidences. I don't know what everybody's belief is because, you know, we're not really allowed to talk about religion or anything, but, um, but I'm going to just go ahead and, and get into my spirituality a little bit and say that I believe that my daughter's illness was what saved all of us and gave us this powerful education because I would otherwise have never been involved in any of this. Okay. I wouldn't have thought of it. It wouldn't have come to me. And because I was working with other mothers to save our children, I mean, all we were ever trying to do is save the babies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if that's a crime, then you can just come arrest me. I don't care. I really just don't even care. Like go ahead and come and try to stop us from trying to save the babies. Okay. Uh, and you go ahead and stand in front of a whole bunch of mothers and see what happens. Because I'm just not sure that it's going to be a very good day for you. Okay. And we could, like I was telling you, if everybody gets their books, and then starts their own church called ABC, you know, called Nicole Saucy Church, her Saucy Church. If she has her Saucy Church on her Saucy Land, then, you know, uh, anybody comes and says anything, this is our church. This is, this is how we operate, you know, and you want to come here, my Saucy Sermons. This is what we're doing here. And if they choose, because all of us people, all the we the people, we the people have the final word. If we the people, this red hot minute, decided that we are not going to participate in this hoax or this lie or whatever is happening, they can't do anything really about it. Because there are how many millions of us? How many of us are there? I mean, a lot. But if 5% of us decide, we don't care. But we, you know, I'm going to make a shirt this year to bring to the conference that says, I don't care. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the so conference you're talking about, guys, is uh, called the Rogue Food Conference. And it's in Tennessee, June 4th and 5th or 5th and 6th? 4th and 5th. 4th and 5th. You're doing a whole day thing before. Uh, so it's two-day conference. I'll be talking on Saturday. We'll serve hollow roast coffee, of course. And, um, yeah, tickets are on sale, but there is a discount code. It's roguefoodconference.com and there's a discount LFIT 30 gets you 30 bucks off. So. And what's that? Just all about all different sorts of solutions like this? It's a lot of different. So I'm sure we'll get to hear the, the food short church solution. What I, what I like about the solution is that it is hard to attack a church. Mm -hmm. Um, as, a pragmatic 
agorist. I do know that anything can be attacked. And there's always a part of me that wants to take enough steps to have layers of protection. Yes. But not so many steps that I get bought into the regulatory environment. Cause I think when we're always looking for ways to use the regulations, they start, we, we start buying into they have to exist and right. they don't. That's why I don't do any of them. Yeah. Right. So it's like, uh, I think just you got to find that balance, right? Cause a lot of people will ask like, you know, the, the example I get all the time, Sal, how do I use cryptocurrency to avoid, to evade taxes? Yeah. Cryptocurrency in a minute is about to be not the way forth. I think we should be leaning towards silver and gold, but yes, or bartering. So you were saying something to me. I think you, Nicole, were you the one who sent me, said something in an email about that? Like how to get around or a different. Well, so, so what I thought would be interesting and I was hoping X would be able to make it, but he had the wrong day in his calendar, which happens to us on this podcast, like all the time. So he thinks we're meeting tomorrow. To be fair, I also thought it was Tuesday. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. That's because it was like Tuesday, Monday, Monday. Okay. Monday it is. Um, Luckily, I reminded everybody this morning. Yes, thank God. He has, so he's figured out how to, basically you get credits inside the corporation that you use with each other. Uh And that means you're not using a central bank, so they're not taking the 3% for every transaction. Right. And um, I don't know what that means for for tax purposes if you're exchanging goods for credits, but I believe that well, first of it, all, it can go around that if it's in the corporation. Well, if it's a church and they yeah. donate their tithes, yeah, in exchange for church tokens. Mm-hmm. See how that works? Yeah. That, and that's, that's a, clean and simple, easy. You can figure out how you want to manage that ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be on paper or credit card ish, you know, cause you can have a ledger. Yeah. He's, so, I think he's solving the ledger question. I don't well, know. So have you dove into that? And having tides. So if I make donations, I mean, my memberships, my membership pays us a fee, right? Mm-hmm. They're paying their CSA fee. They pay a membership fee. Mm-hmm. And um, that allows them access. And if anybody wants to come and say, Nithi, prove it that, you know, you have this membership. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are, we are using credit cards right now because um, it's a lot of cash for me to try to have to handle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it works right now. Okay. Also because I'm having to distribute to different farms and right. there's too many people involved for what I'm doing right now. So, um, but the tides that they pay, um, you know, those are their church tides. They get a report at the end of the year of their annual donations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, one thing I, I've been thinking about, just, uh, you know, listening to your whole story here is, so I like, I, with my podcast, it's like all anti-government. Everything I do is like oligarist and, and libertarian. So one thing I've been thinking about is sort of, um, creating like a, a, a almost like a Super Bowl pool. Have you guys ever, you guys ever like bought a box in a Super Bowl pool? Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Imagine that, but with politicians, right? So you pick a bunch of a hundred old politicians who are very close to dying, and you sell boxes to a hundred boxes, and the first politician that croaks, whoever is holding that token or that box gets the payout, right? Same thing. But see, I'm here in Florida, and Florida has really strict raffle rules, and I can't. I've I've been having a really difficult time trying yeah, to get around these yeah. damn laws. So. One way I could do it, I've learned recently by speaking to some friends of mine that are lawyers, is by setting up a nonprofit, and I could actually pull this off. So my question to you is, what does that process look like of setting up a nonprofit? Is that like a legal nightmare? Did you have to pay lawyers all kinds of money to do it? Is it something I could do on the internet? Yep, they actually had an easy form for the yeah. first time the year that I filed. Oh, is it, it's a state the right year. Of- State or federal, though? It's a federal tax oh, yeah. ID. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you're you supposed to, uh, you get the federal ID, but you're also incorporating in your state. Yes. And every state's a little bit different because I've done a couple of nonprofits in different okay. states. Um, For us, I, had, I, I just, like to give a lawyer 500 bucks to do all that paperwork because I hate paperwork. <laughs> is, that, is, it, is it that much paperwork? Is it $500 worth of paperwork? It, well, I mean, some lawyers will charge you $10,000. You just got to find the right lawyer. Oh, my God. But, no, it, it takes, like, What's, I would say five hours of time, maybe. In Tennessee? Yeah. What? For, that's not the incorporation I mean, fee. That's just what I paid a lawyer to do the paperwork for me. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. But my, I've done my, it myself, and I just don't like doing it. But to file the incorporation uh, or to, to file that was just my articles mm-hmm. and that was so standard. It was so easy. So, I didn't, so, I didn't so what do you have to do? You have to, easy. you have to submit this federal tax form and, and what, what else does that process look like? What else does it entail? So that year they, for the first time had an easy app application online and a friend of mine who has set up several nonprofits said that she would help me. So we got on the phone together and we were on the computer and we, we went to that easy page and Sal, you can't believe how easy it was. It was, it was easy. I went through, answered all the questions. She told me, she was advising me on how to answer the questions because she, you know, cause she had enough experience with that to, but whatever it was that she did, I had to do that after I filed to um, incorporate the corporation here in North Carolina, which yeah. actually was very simple. I just literally went down there with my articles and just gave them to the lady for her to photocopy and give me. I mean, I had to pay them their hundred dollar, hundred and fifty dollar you know, mafia yeah. fee, whatever it was. So I paid them their, their $150 fee. And, um, and then the other part of it was all online. And it, I mean, I kid you not, it took us probably 60 minutes and I was waiting. I, I was believing that, okay, this is going to take six months or something because people say that you file it and you don't hear anything like forever. Right. That's what and I heard. Oh my god! Two years. Really? Two I years? filed one. You won't believe this, then Nicole, because I filed it, and in like three weeks, I had an approval letter. Yeah, it's because of what you did. Um, I was working in public policy 
and it was the it was during Obama's um, administration, mm-hmm. and they were worried that people who work in public policy marketing are actually lobbyists, which I was not doing, and so they just stopped processing that that particular type of nonprofit until pressure was put on them. So I had a long time with no no confirmation. But that's not that's not normal though for the audience uh, listening not, out no, there. It is normal to get confirmation. Um, it's part of why I have a tendency to work under advice on this so that they can tell me, well, if you choose this definition, you're more likely to get looked at 90 times. You know, it's kind of like why I have a CPA tell me how to organize my my finances right. in my business. Right, um, right. But the process, big picture, is you incorporate, which is a state right. thing, and you can incorporate as a nonprofit in your state, and then you file for an exemption. I did put the link in the YouTube chat because we, the people who make our show notes may want to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Form 1023. Yes. And then and then they evaluate it, and it is. You're right. Now that it's online, so much easier than when you used to have to print it out and do all that. Uh, and then you're either confirmed or not. The other piece in, in many states, you have to register with the state and do special reporting with them. But and it's, it's you know, to find out what they're going to ask you before you do all your financial tracking for the year. So you don't have to go back and redo it. Ask me how I know. Well, so <laughs> I do have an accountant that does that part of it. Yeah. And yeah. we've are, we've been able to file the little postcard thing. And yeah. So, yeah, if you get over if you get over a certain amount of money, you have to have an independent audit every year. Okay, well they have tried to audit us. Yeah. That's which, different than the independent audit, but yeah. Oh, okay. How'd that go? You got audited by the IRS? He um yeah, twice. And she was amazing. I don't know. I mean, I didn't do that by myself at all. She had these two binders that she gave them. Yeah. And she was just like cuz really they have to prove yeah. That I did something. So she just gave them everything with her highlighted notes in the front of each chapter. <laughs> and she's just like, well, here you go. Find the money. Tell us when you found it. And immediately I would get refund checks. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, okay. No. Yeah, the IRS. Never mind. Is, They're organized. Stuff. They're not that committed, y'all. Yeah. Well, and traditionally, people who are running nonprofits who are mission driven are not necessarily um, financial tracking driven. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you what they were doing. They they audited us because they said that surely we must be taking cash. And if we have this many dollars in credit card fees, then we must uh, definitely have this much in cash. And we were just like, we'll find the money because they wanted me to pay them $50,000 per year or something crazy. And I was like, that is, that's hilarious. And my, uh, my, <laughs> my, C- she doesn't want me to call her a CPA because she doesn't believe in the CPA for a lot of reasons that we all understand. But she's a ninja, yay-ish person, and everything she does is like legit. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, for for the gorse and the counter economists out there listening, if it if it don't be dissuaded if you think the process still seems difficult, it's a hell of a lot better than the legal process. Yeah. Right? You'd rather go through the nonprofit and get yep. the protections than to defend yourself in the, in the legal process. In a, in one of the kangaroo courts. 
step step one is still going to be to create a membership. Yeah. Because look, I have layers. Like like you were pointing out, Nicole. I mean, like, um, or one of you guys just said it, but you know, I shouldn't need the church no. membership. But and then now after COVID, uh, I, we're back in commercial space. My membership has taken care of that. They're all uh, they all funded it because if you read my book, I said I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because that was crazy. And so we, our door is locked. We have a ring doorbell that everybody can come and ring and we just let you in. I was going to do a door buzzer, but that's $10,000 or something crazy for just the brand new door, that electronic door. I was like, okay, well, if y'all want to donate one of those, (laughs) (laughs) we can set that up. But um, until that happens, you can just ring the doorbell and we'll just let you in. (laughs) Um, On my, on the front door, it says good vibes only. And then I have a sign that says um, mask policy. Your body, your choice. We are sovereign. There is great love here for you. Like, Mm -hmm. and then it says members only. And all, you know, everybody needs to be escorted. So like all these gyms and stuff, they could just do that. I mean, they already have the very expensive buzzer door thing for our cards to be swiped in or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, they should just say your body, your choice, do whatever you want. They have no liability because they have a membership. I don't understand it. Oh, yeah, the mask thing. See, I'm in Florida, so I, I constantly yeah, I forget know. that the rest of the country has Other to be forced into muzzles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They're so Except crazy. For- like, I really was like, do we want to move to Florida or Texas? I mean, but all my work is here, and I shouldn't have to, like, give up our families and, you know. I know should- how it feels. Yeah, I mean – <laughs> Do you think I could be happy in Florida? Sure. Of course I could make myself happy over there. But I mean, I've done all this work here and I just don't understand that any of us should have to, to play this nonsensical game. I want to put it, can I, may I just put an all call out there to all your listeners? Well, now we can't say no because you just did it publicly. So <laughs> don't go for it. <laughs> I just, I want to call all the men to stand, you know, I just, I mean, I'm calling all, you know, Oath Keepers. Where I don't know where everybody is, but, like, all we need is for everybody to stand up and just say no. No, thank you. I mean, why are our children, you know, being suffocated at school? It's it's total. Does, does nobody else have, has no one else ever been through an OSHA class? I haven't. Let me tell you something. Go ahead. There's a lot of people who take OSHA safety classes because you need them for construction, for for everything. And you cannot work with a mask on. Like, let's say that you're removing asbestos, okay? You can't wear a mask and, and be doing that for more than a certain time limit because you can't be masked up like that. If you're in a hospital, people keep using this excuse that, you know, in hospitals they're wearing masks all the time. Well, the only people that really wore masks all the time was in the middle of surgery. And when they're in that theater that has 
you know, been air conditioned a specific way. All the humidity has been removed. I mean, they get it down to a certain temperature. And if they can't get the, the temperature and the humidity just right, they don't even start the surgery. It's not even considered a sterile, safe environment for them to cut someone open to have that surgery. And that is the only time that medical professionals are like masked up for extended periods of time. Otherwise, yeah, they might put a mask on if they're coming into a room of someone who's immune compromised, but they don't have the sick person wearing the mask and they don't have the healthy people outside the room wearing a mask. You know, it's interesting because a friend of mine gave birth during this year. Mm. They made her wear a mask. Her husband, she actually passed out. And and her husband was there and eventually was just like, I don't care what you do, but that mask is coming off because she kept, due to lack of oxygen, was passing out while trying to deliver a baby. And, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about masks and I'm never going to tell somebody what to do, but they're not going to be telling me what to do. I mean, if I couldn't stop you from smoking a cigarette, then how am I supposed to care about all of this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. At the same time, I travel with masks because if I feel cold coming on, I will put one on on the airplane. Actually, now if you get on an airplane, they won't let you on without one. But you know what I mean? Like before before it happened, I was like, well, I, I see the logic in that, in the, what the Japanese do, right? Where they, I feel the sniffles. I'm going to put this mask on if I need to be out in public to not give it to somebody. But at the same sick time. Sick people don't make people sick, Nicole. Huh? Sick people don't make people sick. Mm. People who have weak immune systems get sick. You can't make me sick. I'll hug you anyway. If you're sick, you can give me a hug. It's okay. Okay. But I know that that is not the orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. That has not been what has been taught. And so, I mean, you know, I guess people will slam me for saying all this stuff or whatever, but I'll tell you something. I operate under the laws of the universe, like the law of nature. Because that was how I came to know whatever it is that I know. I mean, outside of this rogue piece, I'm, I coach people back to health with real me. Let's not forget why I even started this in the first place. And it was to naturally recreate and rebuild robust immunity and to help heal people on a cellular level, which You know, the only three things that you need for robust health is correct voltage, correct nutrition, and to be able to uh, not, you know, be overwhelmed with toxins. And I'll tell you something, viruses are not toxins. Our body is expecting to receive a virus. We have um something on our cells that is waiting to receive it. It's like an update, like a software update. It's an update. So this is a misunderstanding. This is a misunderstanding. And we already know the medical mafia is not going to explain that to you because that's a really they, interesting way to describe a virus actually as a software well, update. It is. It is. We, like it. we have, that's, that's, a, that's my favorite metaphor of the day right there. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Well, I mean, we live in this universe that has infinite intelligence flowing through it. And, you know, I think that the beasts of our planet are are, are a beautiful example of robust health. They don't have doctors. 
I mean, I guess you got vets for the ones that have been domesticated, but the wild creatures, they don't go to see a vet. And you want to know what? If you go outside right now, they're just happy. They're, they know the well-being is everywhere. If you stop seeing birds and all the beasts of this planet, then you should be worried. If you can't find one anywhere, like I got bunny rabbits and all kinds of, you know, creatures hopping around here. We got deer and everything. It, they are unaffected. Mm-hmm. If there was something to fear, actually, you know, we would, we would know about it. Now, how you want to manage your health and how I want to manage my health and the next person, there's, there's, you should do whatever you feel comfortable doing. Sometimes, you know, like if you want to wear a mask or a blanket or. I whatever. usually want to wear a blanket. That's just a whole time of year standard, <laughs> Nicole. So I have a wearable blanket right over there. Yeah. It's got sleeves. Don't make me get it. It's like a Snuggie. I believe yeah. you. I believe you. I'm just saying yeah. that how everybody wants to manage their own body is is up to everybody, you know. But don't try to tell me what to do. Yeah, and you're 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 definitely you're, you're speaking our language at this point because that's that's sort of like our whole philosophy mm-hmm. here is is I think the, the logo for our show, Nicole, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is just it's like the geese and it says "Leave me alone" or something like yeah. that. So, you know, do what you want, um, but just don't impose your 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 beliefs or your will on others. And then everybody will get along. And I think the world would be a better place if we all sort of had that attitude. I just love that we should, you know, like how we're having this conversation, me and Nicole don't have to agree about that or anything, but it's just nice to, to be able to say, this is what I do. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. Everybody else who's listening can say, okay, I like that. I think I'm going to try that. You know, that's, that's what people have done for years. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if you've heard about um, this new book that just came out. It's called The Red Pill um, Revolution, Red Pill Revolution. A friend of mine, Phil Escott, he's in um, England. He's one of the authors. There's five five authors. And if you guys get a chance, check it out. But the one thing that I thought was really cool about this book mm-hmm. is they um, they wrote it as a group. And they had these kind of Zoom calls. And one person was making notes and doing most of the writing and then they all would review it, I guess, or proof it or I don't you know, whatever. And so they took these videos and they have them on a website so that as the reader of the book, you can also have these bonus videos and watch some of their conversations that they were having on the mm-hmm. way to writing this book. And it was just so fun to listen to them all coming from these different places um, with their, you know, ideas about whatever this one topic was. And, um, and then everyone had the ability and permission to, you know, extrapolate whatever it was that they wanted out of that. And right now they're trying to pretty much say, we can't do that. That's what yeah, I'm gonna... disagreeing is not culturally acceptable anymore. I mean, what is happening? That's, that is what we do. Yeah. That is what we do. It's, it is the basis of critical thinking. And when they're taking our ability to, I mean, freedom of speech is at, at, that's what's being violated, you know, and not just censoring me because they don't like what I'm saying, 
But even just the fact that the three of us should be able to have this conversation, we should be able to have it with 10 people and all of us just go, oh, I didn't know you could even do that or yeah. you, anybody would want to do that. But, oh, that's interesting. That's all you can say when someone says something that you aren't even sure about. Maybe, you know, like, I don't know if you're right or wrong about if you should do something like that for yeah. you to feel good. It's none of my business, really. But well, I was having a conversation about NFTs in a group and somebody said something about it being a, a passing fad. And NFT- my, my answer was, I don't know if that's true. And an NFT is a tokenization of intellectual properties. Probably the fastest way to say Sal's looking at me and giggling because he's the crypto guy on the call. <laughs> but, um, but I just, I don't know enough about it to say if it's a fad or not. Right. Uh-huh. But I'm not going to just buy that. Like, I'm not going to say, yep, it's a fad just because somebody said so. I'm like, but why is it a fad? Tell me what the problem is or what, you know, what it even is. And I think we've gotten acclimated as a culture to listening to experts say, you know, this is the way to be and not question it. And I think that's why now when there's a disagreement and somebody says something, people are afraid to say, I'm not sure that's true. What makes them an expert? Because, you know, as far as I know, there's nobody who is a knower of all things. Yeah, it's true. Who actually really knows, you know, science is, is always changing. But, again, that's, you know, hate speech now to say that, right? If well, you're Science is a philosophy. And the problem is that these mathematicians have decided to make science something that can be settled, which is absolutely not possible. That's not how science works. Mm-mm. Science is a philosophy. So for them to act like science is, by the way, the study of nature. Nature has this all figured out. And we are just never going to know everything. And also, we probably don't need to. And also, you're not allowed to have faith. That's the other thing you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to have faith. How about just have faith in in nature? Because nature's had our back. Nature has grace. Well, I'll tell you what, nature has grace. I'm wondering, Nifi, um, you know, so many people. So this is a show about agorism, right? And the founder of agorism is this guy named Sam Konkin. And he would say things like there's so many people out there who are agorists and don't even realize that they're behaving in an agorist way. And um, there's been all sorts of like expand. People have expanded on the philosophy. And one of the ways that they've done it that I really like is this idea of, um, Counter-economics being sort of two aspects to counter-economics, which is a synonym for agorism. It's the same thing. And I guess the first aspect would be to sort of create local production facilities that bypass uh, state regulations and then to uh, combine that with peer-to-peer voluntary trade. And the, the idea is that if we can do that, we can sort of create much more freedom and liberty in our time than any politician or any vote ever could. And it sounds to me that like that's exactly what you're doing, Mm -hmm. right? You sort of created this facility where people can come and get, you know, healthy, clean food. And you've done it in an entrepreneurial way that respects voluntary peer to peer trade. And hopefully you're, you're, you know, making a buck for yourself. But it's right up, uh, right up the alley of like of what we're going for at this show. But I've only my point here is that Konkin spoke about people being a course and not even realizing it. I'm wondering if you had ever heard of the philosophy before you came on the show or if it's just pure coincidence. That's totally coincidence. When you were saying this to begin with, um, I mean, 
I think she, you wrote about it. Nicole sent me something. And so, I mean, I looked it up and cause I was like confusing it with agrarianism. Yeah. It's a very okay. obscure political word. philosophy. I would do yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Right. Because agrarians, you know, when you were just, even when you just said it, I had to remind myself, um, you know, because, you know, eating is an agrarian act that no one seems to know, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I actually never thought of it. You know, it's so funny, Sal, like I had naturally come up with these, I instinctually was, you know, I get pushed in a corner and I would just have an instinct, instinctual reaction. And it's like every time they would try to push me down, I would just be like, are you kidding me right now? And then the only thing that I would ever ask myself, Sal, you know, was, I mean, what am I doing that's wrong? Like, is this right or is this wrong? And so I would, you know, have these these conversations with myself, like kind of my litmus test, like, um, you know, is this? <laughs> and I, I was like, um, okay, this child is sick. This mother's trying to help. She can't think straight because she's freaking out because he's sick. Um, I'm trying to help. She wants my help. She wants to pay me for help. I think this is okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I want the child to be better. That is of literally course. all I want. There's nothing else going on here. So, yeah, that's, and clearly you you must be doing something right, or they wouldn't want to do business with you in the first place. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not marketing. I'm not seeking these people out. I don't. And that's the other thing. You know, when people say to me um, and people, OK, now I should uh, clarify if the if the USDA or the FDA or the NCDA or whoever shows up says something to me, I'm just like, well, these people pay me money to come here. And they were like, what? I said, it's a membership. Like they want to come here. Mm -hmm. I don't stand out in the street finding them. You don't see no red flag guy standing out in front of my place, waving, you know, trying to call people in or anything. I don't even have a sign. Now I had a sign. At the other place. And here, I don't have a sign. This time, I was like, okay, I'm going to put it here. And they're like, are you going to get a sign? I'm like, did you see my sign that said we are sovereign? That's my sign. <laughs> I, well, I just think it's funny that Sal, that he, and whenever Sal talks about agorism and, and, and counter economics, he sounds really smart because he is, right? <laughs> I'm not. But but the funny thing about agorism is it's just life and living. Like to me, it's nothing complicated, but we try sometimes we try to overcomplicate it. And it's interesting to have Nithi here living like an agorist and not knowing the word or having red conkin. Better than better than half of us are. I still haven't read conkin though, so I'm in trouble, I know, as a goose. I would but. like the link. For that, because I would want to know what it is. But you know, I, I, I'm going to say that's so funny that you. So I, I always try to simplify everything, right? Mm-hmm. I like things to be really simple. I mean, I can get into details and I can become, I can study things that are, I guess, what people might think are complicated. I mean, right now people are terrified to take responsibility for their own health, you know, and because they they've been diminished yeah. to the point where they are made to believe that they have no ability to make 
decisions for themselves. They can't know. That's why they're they're looking at the box, waiting for the box to tell them, okay, turn left. Okay, turn right. Okay, turn blue. You know. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I just started yeah. driving with maps again because of that. I was like, I have to know where things are. And if I just follow the GPS all the time, I don't know where things are. <laughs> yeah, you lose your geography, you know, like yeah. you, you kind of lose that thing. And so um, I think that, you know, I always tell everybody if I operate under the people say, well, how do you know you're operating under the laws of the universe, under the law of nature? And I said, well, have you guys like are you familiar with gravity? You might be familiar with gravity. I just love gravity. <laughs> you know what I love about gravity is that when you get to the edge of a cliff, then, you know, you know, you don't have to wonder, like, what's going to happen here? I don't have to wait for the- I don't need the science to come back and be settled or whatever they say, because I just know I'm going to go down. And I mean, there isn't like, I'm going to maybe go down. So, so if I know that I'm going to go down, I can make really good decisions, you know? And so I like to operate like that all the time. And so if it's something that requires you know, if, if it sounds too convoluted to me, like if I can't even understand, that means it's called lies. Normally, if it is something that I feel like someone's trying to make me feel like I'm so stupid, then it just must not be true because I cannot understand. And so far, I, I mean, you're introducing me to these new terms and stuff. I seem to be able to follow what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I'm going to send you some links when we sign off here. I'll, I'll, I got yeah. I got some reading for you, some heavy you reading for you. See me, and I'll get it to the and show. And you too, people. Nicole. Yeah, you as well. Hey, I've read a lot of Hayek. That's why. I, that's why I got it on this podcast. Okay. Not, not <laughs> yeah. I haven't, so you got me beat there. I'm, I'm reading uh, Adolf Hitler right now. That that dude was wordy. I'm leaving. Wordy. Oh. Yeah. What is, what, what are you reading? I'm reading Mein Kampf, and I had read. I studied German, so I had read it in German, and I'm reading it in English now. Wow! And it's no better in English, but it's 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 actually it's been very informative. I'll do a whole podcast on that at some point. It's been good for me to read, but I don't think I'm going to finish it. Really? I, also, I mean, he doesn't you know, like Jewish people, just for the record. Yeah, yeah, long story short, not a fan of the Jews, Hitler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some of his observations really explain to me why the conflict between fascism and Marxism that we, was we, we can do a whole that way, show even though they're not the really causes. different. Um, right. We could do a whole uh, show on the, the causes yeah. of World War II. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, okay, well... Nithi, thank you so much for joining us. This has yes. been episode 32. Before we sign off, remind everybody, how do they find you? I'm going to go around the horn to you next, Sal. So tell us how to get in touch with you if you want to get your book, learn more about it, join your church, whatever. <laughs> so you can learn more about what we're doing at www.farmtoforkmeatriot.org. Okay. And I have all my links there for social or, or whatever. And um, that's a good place to go, I think. That's a good place to go. Plus, she's speaking at the Rogue Food Conference in Tennessee in June. So I know. Like, I meet to, her in person if you're in Tennessee. I'll have to look at tickets for that one. Um, yeah. I'm yeah, Sally Mayweather. You guys know me. Twitter at Sally Mayweather. Facebook. 
Did I just cut out my... You did. Yeah. Your mic came unplugged or something. Sally Mayweather. Okay, yeah. You're back. Finish your spiel. Yeah, Sally Mayweather. Uh, Sally Agarist. You can follow me, 3 dprintagoburr and agorathreads.com. All right. I'm Nicole Sauce with livingfreeintennessee.com and hollerroast.com. Guys, if you want to help this podcast grow, share it with your friends. Give us a review over on whatever podcaster you're doing. Follow us on YouTube. Find us on Odyssey, all of those things. And we are at unloosethegoose.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Honk, honk. (laughs) The stream is over. Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradise.